You really scratching your head for a cold open for the people. <laughs> you really, you really hurting your little brain. Let me tell you something. First of all, you're not better than me. Also, <laughs> I am like my life is the same. It's the same in San Diego. It's literally Groundhog's Day out here. Hello, my down bitches. Welcome to Obsessed with Disappeared, where Joey Taranto and I just scream into a microphone and some people listen and some people turn it off. You know, it depends on the day. This is the (laughs) podcast where Joey and I recap one of our favorite true crime shows, Disappeared, episode by episode. We are barreling through season eight. And if you want a little bit more of Joey in your ears, which, you know, as I always say, that's on you. Please visit us on our Patreon. That is what we call the Drama Club. And we do all our bonus content there. We do a little bit more of uh, the cheesy stuff. I mean, not right now. Right now, we're smack dab in the middle of Love, Honor, Betray. It was a little dark there for a minute. Oh, it's the upside down in the Stranger Things. I'm literally yeah, like, get me out of here. <laughs> it lightens up. We got a rich white guy robbing a bank next week. It's oh, going to be God. great. <laughs> but go to our website, clink our Clink, clink it, <laughs> clink our Patreon link, and that will send you to about 100 episodes that are ready to download and binge right now. Some with me, some with that other woman. What was her name? What was her name? I can't uh, remember. She don't go here anymore. <laughs> we have tons of stuff ready for you to listen to. We have ad-free episodes. We got Close Friends Circle. We got a big announcement coming up July 25th, and the Drama Club will be benefiting first from that announcement. So come on over and have another day of us squawking in your ear if you feel like it or don't. What am I, the police? You could be. You really could be. I really, really could be. (laughs) On to the episode. Season 8, Episode 9, The One That Got Away, tells the story of the disappearance of Eric Franks. A young man gets life-changing news and leaves home for a fresh start. He left pretty much with the clothes on his back. I have never seen him any happier in his entire life. But things take an unexpected turn. How does someone just vanish into thin air? How does someone's car vanish into thin air? There's no physical evidence to show what may have happened to him. And Eric's family can't help fearing the worst as the details of his last days emerge. This man said, I'm going to put a bullet in your head if you don't leave my family alone. Nine months is a long time to be able to cover your tracks. His loved ones cling to the hope that one tip could reveal what happened to Eric Franks. I want to find my child. I'll do whatever. I'll go wherever. I'll talk to whoever. We're not giving up. First of all, I just want to acknowledge at the top of this episode the amount of restraint you just showed not singing The One That Got Away by Katy Perry. How did you not do that? Wait, what's that song? Are you? What? Oh, no. Oh, no. You don't know that song. It's like the best Katy Perry song. Okay, you're attacking me, and I'm asking a simple (laughs) question. Can we hear that song? You're in the wrong key, right? <laughs> okay. Just so we're clear, I'd like to be right, right off the bat. Anyway. Oh, I can't imagine <laughs> why you're single. <laughs> March 10th, 2011. 38-year-old Eric Franks is catching up with his mother, Joanne, 
from his motel room outside Saginaw, Michigan. Eric was calling me and telling me things that were going on. We talked about his car. We talked about work. While Eric and his mom have always stayed in touch, Joanne has been checking in with her son more often lately. Five months earlier, Eric and his wife separated, and he left their hometown of Archbold, Ohio, for Michigan. So here we are on March 10th, 2011. March 10th, that's my brother's birthday. I just realized that. And we're in a motel room in Saginaw, Michigan, and 38-year-old Eric Franks is on the phone with his mama, Joanne. He's currently living in a motel, and he's been doing a bunch of odd jobs, and mama Joanne is already in tears. So naturally, I'm in tears. I want to jump through the screen, give her a big old hug. Can we give it up for all the sympathetic criers in the group? I mean... It is exhausting. Being me is exhausting is what I meant, but I am also a sympathetic crier. (laughs) Well, I mean, listen, also Mama Joanne is very huggable. Her little southern twang and her, she's she's so sweet. But she is right out the gate with the tears. I'm like, Mama Joanne, this is going to be a long episode, honey. I can't cry with you that much. (laughs) Yeah, and so, you know, Eric is starting over. And I just want to say, starting over can be very hard and scary. And I have a lot of respect for people who risk it all for a better life I'm here for for it. So now, like we just said, Eric had moved and all of his friends and family back home were like, can you just come back here? We miss you. We love you. And we meet Eric's friend, Leah Upchurch. And she was like, I just didn't want him to isolate himself. It's hard finding a support system in a new area. But Eric was determined and we wanted to support him. But still, we were like, come home. Yeah. He felt good about his decision. We'll learn a little bit more about that later. We get Eric's backstory. He was adopted in North Carolina and they moved to Tennessee. And his dad, Jim, was a minister at a church. Now, they say Eric was a... Pastor's kid. Joey, are you a... Pastor's kid. I just wasn't sure if everyone knew you were a... Pastor's kid. Now, is pastor the same thing as a minister because I failed religion vocabulary? Is it the same thing? (laughs) It is the same thing. Also, people used to be like, oh, so your dad's a priest. And I'm like, that is not the same thing. That is a Catholic church. And my dad has sex because I'm here on this planet. So priests do not. So to be clear, you are a... Pastor's kid. Did you get that out your system? Is it out your system now? Yes. I am a pastor's kid, a minister's kid. They call us PKs for short. And I would just like to say, Eric, I know. I know what it's like to grow up having church folk watch you constantly and judge you and your family's every move. It fucking sucks. Zero stars do not recommend. (laughs) Eric was known for being a bit of a maverick. In high school, we didn't run with the same crowd. I was a little bit of a good girl, I guess. Eric has always been larger than life. Um, Lots of personality, really funny, very smart. He was the kind of person, he loved to talk politics and religion. We didn't usually agree on either one of those, but he liked to talk about it. Well, they also tell us Eric was just like a really big personality and the two things he loved to talk about were politics and religion. And then I really quickly had to see if this show was about you. I wasn't sure if you had gone behind my back and made an episode of Disappeared when I wasn't looking because I was like, wait a minute. Eric is me. I am Eric. Well, when they're explaining all of these things about Eric, they flash this picture of young Eric sporting a business in the front party in the back honey a mullet a feathered honey mullet. mullets are more than a haircut it's a lifestyle and it's just wow I mean, we talked about this before but like mullets are coming uh, back they are back yeah i mean i know little nas x were one like and i love little nas but i was like i don't know how i feel about this i feel like i need to mullet over <laughs> 
it. That's our show. Thank you so much. Um, oh, I'm just getting a text. Patrick is saying that all of our sponsors have pulled out. Well, it was great while it lasted. <laughs> anyway, Mama Joanne was like, listen, we didn't agree on everything, but we did talk about it, which I think is good and healthy. You know, a lot of us are a lot less different than we think we are. And if you can have a civilized conversation, more power to you. My family made a no politics rule years ago, and I've since cut them off for another podcast. But, you know, go <laughs> off, Eric and Mama Joanne. His family recalls how at 19, Eric started a relationship with a girl named Ken. The young couple grew especially close once Eric moved out of his parents' home. I didn't really know they were dating and as heavily as they were. And at 19, he actually had an apartment with a friend of his. So I wouldn't have known everybody he was dating. And so I did know that apparently they were in love. Also, we find out that when Eric was 19, he met a girl named Kendra that worked part-time with his mother. And honey, it was love at first sight. And I just want to say, like, you know, there's a special place that one gets to visit only a few times in life before it's no longer accessible. And that is the corner of first love and the ideals of youth. There's nothing quite like it. I think most people have seen this place once, maybe twice in their life if they're lucky. But I mean, do you remember your first love? Yeah, he was oh, so God, hot and so uh-huh. stupid. And I really, really <laughs> thought I loved him. And I loved his shoulders. And his arms. That was it. Oh, wow. Here we are. I love it. Well, then you and homegirl from Love It. Uh, what is it? Uh, love After Lockup. Y'all have yep. a lot to talk yep. about. But you know what I'm saying? That when you would romanticize oh, yeah. it, you had nothing but time. And it's like why Twilight was so huge. The idea that this beautiful person chooses you out of everyone to fall in love with, picks you up every day and takes you to school. I mean, you just don't get that at 42. Yeah. No, I know. It's adorable. Gross. Anyway, Eric also <laughs> wanted to be... <laughs> Y'all should have seen her face. She was just like, "Uh uh-huh, sure, okay. (laughs) No, the butterflies are very cute. I should be over all the butterflies. (laughs) Great song. Great song. Oh, God. Ellen's butterflies have turned to moths. They're just sort of eating her insides. Yeah, they're just grumpy little moths. They're like, get the fuck out of here. I'm I'm, I'm Ellen's moths. They're like, where are the butterflies? I don't know. I fucking ate them. They're really grumpy (laughs) moths in there. Oh, love. I'm broken. Okay. Um. (laughs) But Kendra broke Eric's heart when she moved to Michigan to be with an old boyfriend, and he lost all contact with her. He told me pretty regularly that she was the one that got away. She was perfect. He took the blame for the relationship falling apart and uh, did a lot of soul searching on himself. And then one day Kendra was like, you know what? I have this old boyfriend that I really like and he was the one that got away in my life. Uh, You know, I was the one that got away to someone. Who? Well, he called me the night before my wedding. What? Mm -hmm. Are you serious right now? Yep. Promise, promise, promise. Was it it Lindsey Graham? Yeah, it was Lindsey Graham. He (laughs) called me the night before my wedding to tell me that, like, I was the one that got away. And, like, if I didn't want to. Oh, yeah. It was a whole thing. Anyway. What did you do? I can't. 
can't say on here. I'll tell you offline. Oh my anyway, God. So, you know, Eric was devastated. Now, this is confusing. Did he move to LA? He didn't move to LA. He visited LA a bunch, but he couldn't move there permanently because he didn't have the money. Yeah, it's super expensive. Then all of a sudden, boom, he's 26 and he lived in Mississippi. I was like, Christopher, did you leave some shit out? I was very confused. Yeah, I was like, how did you go from LA to Tupelo, Mississippi? Yeah. I mean, the two places could not be more different, but hey, listen, I'm sure my man had his reasons. Now, while he was living there, he met a woman named Gail who had a young son. They fell in love, got married, and Eric loved being a stepdad, and everything was going well until 2006 when he hit some rough patches. Sadly, Eric's dad died. He was really, really devastated. And two years after that, he had lost his job during the recession. So he moved to Ohio, which was near his mom and sister. And things didn't really get any better. His marriage wasn't doing great. They had a lot of financial stresses. And he was lonely. And, you know, social media, Facebook had just become popular. So he started reaching out to some old friends on Facebook to make friends. And he reconnected with Leah Upchurch, the down bitch we met at the beginning of the episode. You know, a lot of us in the late aughts decided to hop on Facebook and try to reconnect with people, including people from high school. And I was, I don't know about you, but I was quickly reminded that I wanted nothing to do with 95% of them. Yeah. But wait, for real, I remember when I got, I booked Rock of Ages on Broadway. There was this guy I went to high school with and he messaged me and was like, hey man, I just wanted to say congratulations. I always knew you'd make it. And I'm like, oh really? You you always knew I was going to make it? Did you think I was going to make it when you shoved me up against a wall and called me a f***? Did you think I was yeah. a big star then? I oh, hope you have 10 kids. I hope you have 10 kids and all of them kick you in that, in that goblin's coin purse you call a ball sack. Anyway, I'm fine. <laughs> I'm fine. Better help. <laughs> So Eric had confided in Leah that he wasn't doing great. And he really had to come to terms with the fact that he missed Kendra. And he did what a lot of us do. He looked for Kendra on Facebook and couldn't find her. And then Eric was like, oh, you know what? She went to Michigan to be with a guy, John. How about I, like, you know, sleuth out John? And sure enough, he found John. To Eric's surprise, John responded, but not with the news he'd hoped for. He told Eric that in fact, he and Kendra were married with kids. But he said he would share Eric's letter with his wife. And so at that point, Kendra got in touch with Eric. Hadn't seen her in about 16 years, so they did a lot of the catching up thing. And she mentioned to him over the course of some correspondence that um, she had something she needed to talk with him about and that it was kind of important. So Kendra was like, hey, fancy chatting with you. How are you? How's your mom? How's everyone? Funny story. Weird that you reached out to me. I've always had something I wanted to talk to you about. And he's like, yeah, 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 no problem. She's like, hold on, I have a sauce on. Uh, I'll be right back. So he does a little internet sleuthing himself, and he sees that Kendra has two daughters, and one of them is 15 years old, and he sort of backtracks to her birthday posts, Uh and he's like doing the math on his fingers, he's like, 
take Carrie the one. Hold on a second. That's like right around the time we broke up. So they have another chat and Kendra was like, hey, how are you? Been a long time. Did you cut that mullet of yours? Oh, also, (laughs) that thing I wanted to tell you, you have a daughter named Emily and she is your biological child. Imagine waking up. It's just a day like any other day. Yeah. And then you find out. You have a daughter, a biological daughter out there in the world that is 15 years old. And Eric was like, the fuck you say? I have a kid? Because remember, he had been with his wife, Gail, and he treated Gail's son like his own. And, you know, sadly, when things go sour with a stepchild, he didn't really have any you know, legal leg to stand on about that being his child. So he was so happy. And Mama Joanne, who we love and is filled with, like, love and light and empathy, says, like, I'm not adopted. I don't know or understand what that must feel like. I can imagine one of the reasons he was so excited was because he didn't have any blood relatives in this world. And now he does. Like, it didn't even seem like he was mad that Kendra hadn't told him. He was just going forth with just excitement. I thought that was so so sweet and that's why he was like i'm going i'm going to michigan and i'm gonna meet my daughter so he does he even made a facebook post about it he kept it short and sweet and on october 25th 2010 eric basically left ohio with almost just the clothes on his back baby and put a pin in that because kendra and her husband john were wondering like okay How do we tell daughter Emily that Eric is her biological father? Do we tell her? How do we tell her? Like, it's dicey. So John must have known. He must have always known, don't you think? Yeah, 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 of course. So we're October 25th, 2010. He's packed up his Chevy Malibu. He's set up some temporary housing in this, you know, extended stay motel. He went to a temp agency every day to acquire some work. All he wanted to do was get to know Emily and be part of her life in, you know, some capacity, which I just think is so tremendously admirable and just really, really sweet. It is, but it's also complicated. That sounds complicated. But one day Mama Joanne gets a call from Eric and he's like, I'm staying in Michigan permanently. During his time there, he's rekindled his relationship with Kendra and is bonding with Emily. At first, Kendra introduced him as an old friend, but even that has changed. At some point during the visit, he was with Kendra and with Emily and Kendra leaned over and whispered, she knows, which meant that Emily had been told that Eric was, in fact, her biological father. It's the family he's always dreamed of. Eric told friends that they were turning into a family, and Kendra was apparently talking about, according to what Eric was telling friends and family, that Kendra was going to leave her husband, John, so that they could all move in together again. Yeah. Complicated. I smell complications. I smell trouble. I smell burnt toast. Help me. But, I mean, it's very <laughs> Avril Lavigne complicated. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. Why did you have to go and make things so complicated? <laughs> I still don't know, Avril. Anyway, so... You know, Eric has always pined for Kendra. He kind of left his marriage with Gail on sort of a hope and a prayer that things were going to work out from Kendra. You know, he walked away from a lot, you know, on the chance that things would work out with Kendra, which seems, you know, really romantical, not super practical. But, I'm, you know, for the sake of this 
journey. I'm going to put my cynicism on the back burner and, and see what happens. I mean, I think I might pick up the slack on your cynicism here because yeah. it just seems sort of like idealistic in a very like I'm going back to my 19 year old mind and I'm going to it's all going to work out it's all going to be yeah. great I'm like babe she's married she's got another daughter like I, I don't yeah everything changes when you got kids in a mortgage you know you start making really practical decisions absolutely you start you know really stressing out <laughs> yeah I mean it just things are different so He's back on the phone with Mama Joanna, and he's like, look, we're going to get this house across town, and the cell reception isn't great, so I might not be able to talk as much as we normally do, but I promise I'll come home in five months. He's got some dental work that he needs to get done. Listen, when you find a good dentist, you don't want to let them go. I get that, you know? Good dentist and a gynecologist and a plumber. Those are the things you hang on to. Um... Eddie says, when I come home, I'm going to bring a guest with me. And Mama Joanne was like, my granddaughter, Emily. Yeah, it's so sweet. So she's like, yes, I look forward to it. And and they end the conversation, and neither of them knew at the time this would be the last time they ever talked on yep, the phone. I, I never thought two and a half years later that that statement would continue to break my heart every time yeah. I hear it. Yeah. I really didn't know. But here I am, a puddle of tears. It's fine. <laughs> but months pass. And they never show up. Eric had a dental appointment set up for July that he would not have missed. I had emailed him and told him, if you don't get to come back, you need to be sure you get it done in Michigan. Ever since Eric had told her back in March that he was moving to an area with bad cell phone reception, Joanne has gotten used to leaving him voicemails and getting email responses back from him. Mama Joanne was like, I mean, you're hurting my feelings, but also, like, don't you have dental work you have to get done? Uh, because, <laughs> I mean, because he had already started it and he needed to go back and he had already paid for it. And the dentist office never heard from him. Now, something really interesting that Mama Joanne wanted us to be clear on was she would call. He wouldn't answer. Remember the bad cell phone reception? She would leave a voicemail and get an email in return. Yeah. That would try my patience. Who is that laid back? Not me. Not you. Yeah, no. I mean, Mama, I, I'm sure Mama Joanne was like, I mean, can you go to a Walmart parking lot and just have a little catch-up sesh with me? Absolutely. That just, it feels so weird. She's like, I mean, I guess emails are better than nothing, but I'm calling you and you're emailing back. Uh, a little suspicious. Yeah. So Mama Joanne even went to her daughter with her concerns, and the daughter was like, my, he's in the country, he's fine. But more time passes, even more time passes, and that's it. Mama Joanne, she ain't having it. So she's like, absolutely something is wrong here, and I don't give a fuck what anyone says. I graduated from DB University with a minor, and don't make me drive to Michigan, numb nuts. <laughs> and, um, and so she gets on it. And Debbie, also a down bitch, wastes no time Googling everybody. Honey? We love a down bitch who knows her way around a Google machine. So Aunt Debbie was like, let's call Kendra. Beep, bop, boop, bop, 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 bop. And she finds her phone number. And Kendra was like, uh, hey, Aunt Debbie, how did you get this number? Google, you say? Okay, I need to fix that. Any hoops. <laughs> I have not seen Eric since mid 
April. And, you know, she goes on to explain that they had, like, gotten in this fight and Eric had parked his little tush on outside her house for a couple of days. I was like, a couple of days straight? That seems sus. And was texting and calling her to come out and she wouldn't. We don't know what the fight was about. We don't have a lot of details about the texting and calling because where are those phone records? But okay. Yeah, and then she says, she ends the call saying... Well, he he took off to California. He said, I'm going fine. If you don't want to answer the door, if you don't want to come out, I'm moving to California to be with an old girlfriend and I haven't seen him since. So at first, this story makes sense. Sure. Because the family was like, well, he always wanted to go to California, but that doesn't explain why we haven't heard from him. He would have called us. Yeah, I mean, moving across the country. And let's say this was a great move. Let's say that he was going to, you know, follow his dreams and follow his bliss. He would have let his family in on that. He would have been like, I'm going to go see about a girl, you know, and, you know, Robin Williams did and something. So Mama Joanne's like, I mean, okay, not sure. So in November, all the emails dry up. There's no calls. There's no emails. So Mama Joanne and Aunt Debbie have an emergency down bitch meeting and they call the local police. Eric's mother contacts her local law enforcement agency the Archbold, Ohio Police Department, and reports her son missing. The officers there get in touch with their counterparts in Michigan and issue a be-on-the-lookout alert for his tan 2001 Chevy Malibu. Obviously, we needed to report him missing was the first step, but then what do you do? Because you can't just sit back and wait for that process to happen. I started at that point, searching the internet from one end to the other. And then a bolo is put out. A bolo. Look at you. Uh, (laughs) For Eric's 2001 Chevy Malibu in tan. Let me tell you, a Chevy Malibu, that car, I'm just saying, if you want a car, you need to get something that's reliable, a Chevy Malibu. I've made several bad decisions in a I'm telling you that you know there's only one car for me. I'm not saying it's the only car. Okay. Sharon, have you been drinking? You're slurring well, your I've speech a, a little bit. Chardonnays. Okay. Oh, you drink Chardonnay. Good. You love the buttery <laughs> taste of a Chardonnay on those Boston lips. That's wonderful. Those New I England lips. I Junkies Cold Brew. I sip it. <laughs> I sip the Chardonnay. And every third sip, I take a bite of a brush and cream. It's gorgeous. And that's class. <laughs> That's class. <laughs> and that's class. Anyway, Chevy Malibu's are a piece of crap car. That's all I got to say about what? that. Wasn't the Dodge Dart recalled, wasn't it? Listen, I've had some issues with my cabaretta. What of it? <laughs> all right? But listen, it gets from point A to point B. You know I can't go faster than 45 on the highway. But anyway. <laughs> Always a pleasure when you show up, Jerry back of phones. <laughs> So Aunt Deborah, let me tell y'all, Aunt Debbie is not to be played with, baby. She graduated with honors from DB University, and turns out her minor uh, was in I Got Time, ho. Yeah. Um, so- <laughs> they weren't waiting for the police. Aunt Debbie was like, fuck the police, fuck this girlfriend, fuck today, fuck tomorrow, fuck this guy. I'm finding my nephew. She's combing the internet. She sees that a frequent commenter on Eric's Facebook page is a high school pal of his. She contacts Leah Upchurch, the friend Eric had reconnected with before going to Michigan to find Kendra. I hadn't really counted the months that it had been 
since I'd heard American Fact. You know, as you get caught up in life, you don't realize how much time passes by sometimes. I started looking back on my Facebook posts and phone logs and things like that and realized that we really hadn't had any substantial communication since that March. She sees that Eric's friend Leah Upchurch is very active on his page. And baby, friend Leah says, wait a minute. I haven't heard from Eric since March. Yeah. So Eric had continued to post on Facebook during all that time. And friend Leah was like, wait a minute. What if it wasn't him? What if someone else had access to his laptop, which probably had his Facebook password stored in it, like all of us. Right. And they were posting. Then she remembers this story that Eric had told her about a housekeeper at the motel he was staying at who was super flirty. And Eric was kind of like engaging pretty innocently until she sent him like some naughty photos. Remember, keep your face out of your naughty photos. Always. And he was like, I mean... Babe, I'm here to woo my old girlfriend, Kendra. And also the housekeeper was married. He's like, I mean, I've been talking to you, but like this, this isn't a thing. So now six days after Mama Joanne reported Eric missing, she gets an email from Eric. And I say Eric with quotations because she said immediately, I knew it wasn't him. It didn't sound like him. He was saying, I'm getting a new place so I can get on my feet. She's like, I didn't even know you weren't on your feet. Yeah. And and then she, he's like, here's my new number. Well, she calls the number. That number hadn't been set up. So now things are looking really, really suspicious more than ever. Yeah. And she responds to that email. She's like, hi, son. Right. Happy you're okay. But like, I'm not calling off the search party until I hear from you. I know you know I'm older than you. So I won born yesterday. Yeah. Like she's, you know, she writes back to keep the communication open. But Mama Joanne's no fool. Like, No, she's, she was like, know, I was born at night, but it wasn't last. Last night. Yeah. So 10 months after anyone has spoken to Eric, Detective Sean Waterman is assigned to the case. And you know who this man looks like? Well, what are you going to say? I'll give you a hint. Do you know what that's from? Mr. Belvedere. That is Mr. Belvedere. Do you remember that show? He looks like Mr. Belvedere. Rich in the kitchen. Never done it at all. Who cares? Mr. Belvedere came on after Webster. Don't get it twisted. Uh-huh. I, I thought he looked like a cross between the old guy from Cocoon and everyone's grandfather. I don't know. He just looks like a sweet old man. So you know? Mr. Belvedere. Okay, disclaimer, I love Sean Waterman, but he comes out of the gate making some daft statements. He says, What made this a little different was that it sounded like he was pretty close with his family. And then he says, And they hadn't heard from him. Now, Sean, I'm not mad at you. And But yeah. as many people say in my DMs, I love you, but... I feel like <laughs> the main requisite for being on Disappeared is that their family hadn't heard from him. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's teaching the really, really entry-level class at DBU of true crime. Yeah. Because then he says... But we need to find out. Once again, Sean... This is what we're literally all here for. Yeah. Like, Grandpa Sean just reread the syllabus in front of the class. He basically (laughs) said, turn to page three of your hymnals and everyone go over the words to Amazing Grace. I'm not mad at you, Sean. I want to have a nice day with you. I'm just here to say that we know, baby. Yeah, stick to to butlerin, uh, Mr. Belvedere. (laughs) I went out to the house and I initially made contact with the, the husband. 
he told me that uh, he had not seen Eric, never met Eric, and, but he knew his wife had been going down to the motel at the time, and he didn't seem too pleased about it, but he knew it. And he knew that he was trying to meet, meet his daughter. Waterman also speaks with Kendra. She, at that time, tells me that she hasn't seen Eric since March of 2011. So Grandpa Sean the detective went to the house where Kendra and John and Emily all live. Now, Sean the detective insisted on doing his own reenactments of knocking on the door. Uh I mean, honestly, he did a great job. You know, it wasn't an aggressive knock. It wasn't too soft where if you're, you know, gardening in the back, you couldn't hear it. It was like a stellar, caring knock. He did a great job. Oh, I believed. I believed he was actually knocking on that door. Yeah. I mean, incidentally, (laughs) there is a knocking competition in this town, but it was actually canceled two years before this episode aired, so Sean wasn't even able to compete. Burn in hell, Uh, Ellen. Burn burn in hell. Go ahead. This is where Sean meets John, Kendra's husband, and John says, of course I know who Eric Franks is, but I've never met him. Yeah. Put a pin in that. Um, And then he speaks with Kendra and she says, I haven't spoken with Eric since April when he left for California. But remember, she had said March to Eric's Aunt Deborah. I mean, that's not that big of a deal to me because you could, March, April, you could get those two things confused. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well... <laughs> So then after that, Mr. Belvedere uh, slash Grandpa Sean goes to the hotel where Eric had been staying to check out his room, finds nothing, chats with the maid. And she's like, I don't know where he went. But Eric did tell me that his girlfriend didn't like him talking to me. So uh, she backed off. All right. Okay. (laughs) So then Sean explains how he processes the motel room. And he says, I was looking for bloodstains, to be honest with you. I mean, Sean really wanted to sugarcoat that for us. And he was like, I mean. I want you guys to know sometimes I have to look for blood. I was like, thank you for being, he was just going to, he was going to be honest. He was going to be like, he, I got to level with them. He was going to tell us the truth, even if it hurts. I mean, there's, there might be blood. I kind of want to tell. He was just really nervous about telling us. This man is the Teddy Ruxpin of investigators. He's sweet and cuddly. Okay. (laughs) So then he goes to the motel owner and the motel owner tells him. Uh, Well, the last time I saw Eric was on March 14th, 2011, when he, he paid in advance for his room uh, for the next week. And a week later, the owner says he had gone to check on Eric's room, but he stumbled upon Kendra cleaning out the room. That's real sus. Yeah, come on, my what? And then the <laughs> landlord or, you know, the owner of the motel was like, what are you doing? Yeah. And she's like, oh, he took off to California, so I'm just cleaning out his stuff. But later, she contradicts herself again and says, no, 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 I didn't say that. I said the day I was cleaning out the motel, Eric was with me. Yeah, Mr. Belvedere was like, you smell that? Yeah. That's the smell of Michigan bullshit. Yeah. I don't believe that. So there are inconsistencies here because Eric had been telling friends that Kendra and his daughter were all going to live together. Kendra says that was never going to happen. I was never going to leave my husband. Somebody is lying, y'all. And I hate liars. I fucking hate liars. Then, you know, Sean Waterman, who definitely is going to be teaching True Crime 101 at your local community college. Please look for him (laughs) in your faculty syllabus. He says... And it's all hearsay. Sean, who is also moonlighting at the mall as Santa Claus, (laughs) he's here to explain what hearsay is. It's a he said, she said type of thing. Grandpa 
what, Sean? Mr. Belvedere knows there are some people that, you know, need to be walked through true crime jargon, and he's here for all those down bitches. Someone send Sean a DB sweatshirt. <laughs> oh, God love you for thinking that he's still working. So three months later, John and Kendra do something that doesn't look weird or suspicious no, at all. it's not suspicious. Yeah, they, uh, they moved to Florida. They just moved to Florida, and the police are like, well... All right, have fun. Stay away from the alligators and the murderers, but have fun on those beaches. And that's it. Without physical evidence, Detective Waterman looks more closely at the digital trail Eric left behind. Waterman takes the last email sent to Eric's mother from his account to see if he can trace it to a physical location. I tried to track the IP on that to see if I could find him. The only thing I could find was that it came from a Wi-Fi at a Burger King. The open Wi-Fi at the Burger King means that anybody, any Tom, Dick, or Harry could have hooked up to that Wi-Fi and sent that message. We meet Sergeant Sarah Krebs, who's sporting a gorgeous French twist, I might add. Yeah. And she explains what open Wi-Fi is, which is that anybody can be on it. Thank you, Sarah Krebs. Please drop the link for your French twist tutorial because I'd pay money for that. (laughs) So also they checked the Burger King surveillance cameras. They've been long taped over. Sorry. Shocking. 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 So now Mr. Belvedere has to check into Eric's phone records. And sadly, they don't help either. The last phone call that was made was 11 days after after Eric last spoke with his mother. Then the phone sort of goes silent. They're like incoming calls came in, but there were no outgoing calls. Right. Then April 5th, which was two weeks later, everything changes. And all of a sudden, the phone starts making calls. Not to his family, not to Kendra. Most of them were to salvage yards in Michigan. Car salvage yards. That is not suspicious at all. Yeah. So, you know, Mr. Belvedere is checking deeper into Eric's phone records. And turns out there was a phone call to a dental facility in Saginaw, Michigan, where he lived. Now, the dental office, when Mr. Belvedere checked into it, they were like, Eric who? We don't know. We don't know, Eric. But guess who they had heard of? Eric's girlfriend, Kendra. But Eric's phone had no record of calls to Kendra or husband John. This is not looking great for Kendra. Yeah. And so Santa Claus Sean was like, Kendra, uh, what's up with these calls to the dentist? And she's like, I mean, yeah, that's my dentist, but I wouldn't use Eric's phone to call. It's like, well, it looks like you did, babe. I mean, who else did? Then Mama Joanne was like, I mean, remember he had to have all of that dental stuff done back in Ohio, but that wasn't the same kind of dentist. So Belvedere Sean is not picking up what Kendra is putting down, but also I've exhausted every outgoing call on that list and nobody knows who Eric is. Yeah. And they also pinged Eric's phone and baby, that phone had never left Saginaw, Michigan. Yeah. So if the story was he was going to California, he didn't bring his cell phone? Yeah, there's a lot of shit ain't adding up. A lot. Yeah. And then after that period of all those calls, you know, the phone being active for a couple months, it just went silent. Where is that fucking phone? Where is that phone? And so Mama Joanne and down bitch Aunt Debbie, they're like, okay, thank you, Mr. Belvedere, for your work, but your work is done. And they drive up to Saginaw, Michigan. They post missing person posters, and they also chat with the local news. I'm like, yes, y'all better. They are on it. And they flyer that town, baby. But through his Facebook page, 
Eric's mother learns that he did have a friend in Michigan whom police had yet to discover, a neighbor at the motel who left town before Eric vanished. The gentleman went out of state to do, I think, some work. And he said, when I came back, I saw the missing flyers. This friend of Eric said, I saw it. And he said, I remember thinking, there's no reason Eric should be missing. And he didn't go to the police right then. He thought, well, it's probably been solved by now. And you know what my first reaction to that was? You are not Italian, Motel Martin, because my Italian ass would be like, missing? We get to the bottom of this. I'd be on the phone with the motel, the police, somebody's cousin, check my tires. I don't know. I'm not an investigator, but I'm sure as hell would not be like, I'm sure it's fine. I'm sure it's fine. Could you imagine being that peaceful? I'm I'm sure that worked out. Are you kidding me? If I see one sketchy story on somebody's story, I'm like, you good? (laughs) What happened? Are you okay? What's going on? You look tired in your story. Can I help? You need a nap? You need a kidney? And now it's fine. I I couldn't imagine being that calm. No, I mean, the innocence of the Midwest. What? I mean, how lovely. Meanwhile, Uh, somebody comes up to us on a New York City street and asks us for a quarter, and I'm like, you're trying to murder me, aren't you? Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? I am suspicious of everyone. Who are you? I don't know who you are. So now Motel Martin does a sit-down interview with that local reporter. Terry Camp, the Silver Fox Terry Camp. But wait a minute. Motel Martin did it anonymously because he felt that Eric had maybe been met with foul play. And the reporter tells us. So I think he wanted to remain anonymous for that. And I was like, oh, was it for that? But was it for that? I love this <laughs> accent because it reminds me of the mom from Bobby's World. Did you watch that cartoon? No. Jennifer, can you please play a clip of the mom speaking? Doesn't our Bobby just have the wildest G-Golly imagination you tell now? She was always like, these cartoons are G-Golly. That is how this guy speaks. And I, I'm i obsessed with it. I love that it. woman, Kendra, on TikTok who does her Midwestern mom. Oh, yeah. Who's yes. like a woke Midwestern mom. She's like, sweetheart, I went across and I put up my pride flags on my lawn because my daughter is a lesbian and I love her. Do you know that girl? Oh, she oh, is I fucking... Do. That boy is gay and I really believe that. Yeah, <laughs> she's so fun. Oh man, I really, really do love Midwesterners. So this is what Motel Martin has to say about that situation. It drove screaming up the motel's driveway and skidded to a stop, jumped out, and started threatening Eric and ended up telling Eric that he's gonna put a bullet in his head if he didn't stop messing around with his wife. So my immediate response is like, you did meet him. You said you didn't meet him. Remember when uh, Captain Belvedere, Belvedere, you know, (laughs) softly knocked on your door and you said you'd never, but you had, how's Florida, my man? How's Florida? How's hurricane season? You lie. You lie. Now, to be fair, they had no charges against them. They were free to go to Florida. Because what's in Florida besides murderers? I'm kidding. We know Disney <laughs> is there. Stop it. Now, here's another thing that just makes me curious. If Eric was the victim of foul play, his mother thinks she knows of a potential motive. Kendra told me personally she thought Eric had inherited a million dollars when his dad died. According to Joanne, Kendra also said that Eric had promised their daughter Emily would inherit the money. There's a couple things about that. I have to be dead before my kids inherit whatever my husband and I had. So it seems that Kendra had this idea, which she said firsthand to Mama Joanne. She had this idea that when Eric's father passed, Eric inherited a million dollars. Babe, 
He was living in a motel. Yeah. You think that he was sitting on a million dollars and living in a motel? Yeah. And Mama Joanne was like, I mean, over my dead body. Like, no, no, no. Literally. Literally. Over, over, my, over dead my dead body. body. I have to die yeah. for Eric to get whatever money his dad left. And also, babe, I don't know you. Yeah. Like, just because my, you know, I have nary a DNA test in my hand. It wasn't a million dollars, but also my finances are none of your business. Who are you again? And also, who says that? Yeah. Who says that? Why? I would love to know the context of that conversation because who would bring that out? And also, you are not very smart because do you not recognize how guilty that makes you look? It gives a motive? It's very odd. So now we're in year two of Eric Missing. And in January of 2013, the Michigan State Police take over the case and they search the property that Kendra and John had previously lived on. And it's spring. It's spring. Nature's thawing out. They bring out the cadaver dogs to see if they can pick up any scent. Sadly, they don't find anything, nothing that could link the two of them to Eric's disappearance. And remember, there is no body. And, you know, they kind of say how it's really, really hard to have a conviction without a body. It is. It's not impossible, though. There are several cases that get taken to trial with a load of circumstantial evidence that don't have a body. But in April of 2014, Dombich Aunt Debbie, she's not letting go of her laptop anytime soon because she is walking the walk and creeping the creep. And she finds out that Emily, Eric's daughter, has cancer at 18 years old. A very rare aggressive form of breast cancer. Now, moreover, Kendra has the same cancer. Now, I did a little bit of research. And what happened was, this is not in the episode... Their cancer story was highly publicized on the media because Emily found like a tennis ball size lump right after her 18th birthday. And then Kendra went and got tested and they had the same very aggressive stage three cancer. And it was really it was publicized everywhere, you know, about proactive, you know, breast cancer uh, checks and things like that. Mammograms. Yeah, mammograms. Thank you. Good word. And <laughs> and so Mama Joanne and Aunt Debbie are like, I mean, we've always thought Kendra was sus and kind of a piece of shit, but this is cancer. So they take a crash course at Down Bitch University. There is an accelerated course available, uh-huh. but it's on limited availability and only under the right circumstances. So you can email <laughs> them if you have any questions. But they fly to Florida. They yeah. scoop up all their air miles and they're like, we need to get the fuck to it. Okay. Yeah. Because not only do they want to find answers, If Emily is Eric's biological daughter, Mama Joanne wants to meet her. So Mama Joanne calls Emily and says, listen, I want to donate money to you and your mom's hospital bills. And also, I would really love to meet you. And she said Emily was very soft-spoken and polite and said, well, listen, I'm at dinner with my boyfriend right now. Can I call you back? And of course, Mama Joanne is like, sure, of course. And hours pass and Mama Joanne gets a text that says that she says she doesn't believe came from Emily because Emily was so sweet and, you know, that was Mm -hmm. so sweet. It says, it would be most appreciated if you would never try to contact me again. Yeah, it seemed very uncomfortable. And poor Mama Joanne was like, okay, uh, 
You know, she was so sad and heartbroken. And they also wanted to get some more answers, you know, ask some questions, which they didn't get to do either. No. So they, you know, pack up their DBU sweatshirts and they go back to Ohio. Yeah, with nothing. No new information. And then in September of 2016, Mama Joanne gets the news that, sadly, Kendra had passed from breast cancer. And she's brokenhearted because, at this point, anything Kendra knew about Eric, any details, any events, whatever they may be, they went with Kendra. Yeah. And she knew. I mean, obviously, we know. Kendra knew everything. She knew what happened. She knew where Eric was. Kendra knew. So I can't even imagine what Mama Joanne, the heartbreak she felt. Yeah. And Mama Joanne texts Emily her condolences and doesn't hear back, which actually isn't, you know, uh, that's not that crazy. But, you know, this case is still with the Michigan police. And, you know, it ends with, you know, them explaining there's no body, there's no car, all these things that don't add up, these, you know, conflicting stories. And we leave with, you know, Mama Joanne saying I'm a part of a family that I never wanted to be a part of, you know, the families of missing people. Mama Joanne is very, very active on Facebook. They have a a Facebook page. It's called Find Eric Lee Franks. And that's sort of where the episode ends. So let me tell you a little bit more information that I have. Okay. Uh, September 8th. 2020, they took possession of a bronze 2001 Chevy Malibu. That was Eric's car. (gasps) Eric's car was found. And they say the internet is awful. Let me tell you how his car was found. It was found by an amateur internet sleuth. Basically a student that was watching a YouTube video of Eric's case and on a hunch and a whim she ran the Carfax report on his car. Now the car had been missing this whole time, but the Carfax report showed that It had a title issued in Saginaw County in August 21st, 2020, followed by an oil change in Clare, Michigan, August 31st, 2020. What? So what happened was Eric Frank's brother-in-law, Chad Baus, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, found a man who had bought the car recently at an estate sale in Saginaw, Michigan. Not in California? Okay. The man told Baus that he thought there was blood on the floorboard of the car. Now, the car is now in the hands of the Michigan State Police Crime Lab. But according to the records, it had been in a garage on the west side of Saginaw, a home garage. That's not all. The home had a connection to Kendra because the man who owned the garage who owned the car, possibly, because we don't know because the title was changed, was somewhere where Kendra worked taking care of being like an at-home, live-in, like, nurse-slash-assistant. But interestingly enough, when that man passed, the people who bought that home, they found on the property a brochure for a high-powered incinerator that had once been installed in that basement but was removed for the selling of the home. So this all takes us to 2021. So this case is not cold at all. Now, I looked up Emily. Emily is alive and well, and she is uh, apparently, you know, she beat cancer. But what makes me sad is that this young girl is growing up 
not knowing what happened to her dad. And so anyone for any information with Eric Frank's disappearance is urged to call the police at 989-495-5555. I don't know. Say something funny. (laughs) Well, listen, if anything ever happens to me, definitely call the police. But the second phone call needs to be to Aunt Debbie because that woman has got a diploma from DB University with a minor in I'll barbecue your toes and force feed them to you if you don't tell me what you know. She's going to save my life. I know it. Ah, oh, we love you, Aunt Debbie. <laughs> we- and, and and Mama Joanne, you're you're an honorary down bitch too. Yeah, you are. Anyway, oh, where is he, baby Eric? Bow, 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 bow. It's so sad. It's really tragic. I hope we find out. I hope we find out. And uh, Mama Joanne, if I ever meet you, please hug me. Please give us a hug. We love you. Down bitches, we love you so much. Thank you for taking these journeys with us. If there is anything that we would love more, we would just love answers for these families. Please join us on our social media. Tell them where to find us, Joey. Well, you can join us in the Facebook group, which is called the Obsessed with Disappeared Podcast Discussion Group. Did I say that right? Ding, 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 ding. And let's talk about this. Please start a thread. I want to hear your theories. We're also on TikTok. You can find us Obsessed with Disappeared. You can find us on Instagram at the Disappeared Pod. You can find Ellen on Instagram at Ellen Marie Marsh. That's me. And you can find me at It's Joey Taranto. We check our DMs. We we want to interact with you. We want to hear your conspiracy theories as long as they're not too cuckoo. <laughs> and if they are, we have space in our life for cuckoo. Don't forget to join us on the Patreon. That is where we hang out with all of our down bitches. We probably tell you a little bit more than we should, if we're uh-huh. honest. And that's okay. You either love us for us or you don't love us. And, <laughs> and that's fine, too. But you can just go to our website, obsessedwithdisappear.com, and click the Patreon link and get all kinds of bonus episodes. Listen, clean those kitchens and yeah. listen to us squawking. Sometimes we, most of the time we laugh, sometimes we cry, and that's okay, too. Also, important to know that with the Patreon, you get first crack at live shows, at merch. There's a lot of perks. Uh-huh. And, uh, yeah, we'll have some more merch coming your way. Don't you worry. And if you are having a good time with us, please scooch on over and give us a review on iTunes. What that does is it helps other people who are true crime lovers just like you find our podcast just a little easier. All you have to do is give us five stars and then tell us why you love us. I mean, you can just tell Joey that he's pretty and you like his curls, but just say something. That's enough for me. (laughs) (laughs) We're needy and not picky. (laughs) Until then, we love you, dumb bitches. We love you so much. Enjoy your day. Love you, Joey. Love you too, Yellen Marsh. Bye. Bye. And tell them. Huh? And then tell them because, oh, sorry. <laughs> do you like when I tell you what to do? <laughs> <laughs> Always. Katy Perry sings high. Don't get it twisted. She's got a, vo- a voice on Wait her. Wait a minute. I think you're in the wrong key. I do think. Because in another life. Is it that low? That's where it is. I'm going to say, editor, please tell me who's right. If it's if it's me, I, I want it to be me so bad. Uh, is it Jennifer? It is Jennifer. Patrick, are we okay? Can we keep going? Are we doing this right, Patrick? (laughs) You got to admit, Florida's scary. Yeah. So, Mr. (laughs) Belvedere. Shut up, Ellen. Just a, yeah. So, anyway. (laughs) Can you be on my side, please?
please, for once? <laughs> I think I'm losing my mind, Ellen. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. Can we put that in the outtakes, please? Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, put that in the outtakes.